Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. As always, we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Uh, the people that have made the Nolcast possible for uh, four or five years now and uh, fortunate to be able to work with them. And as always, we will begin our podcast with a tip of the hat to them. And Bud, let's uh, jump into a podcast that, again, for uh, being second week in May in the middle of a pandemic is is uh, surprisingly full. So uh, we'll get straight into it. No doubt. Also, I want to thank all of uh, the listeners who came out for the Madison Social Stump the Bud trivia game. I really try not to sound cocky because everybody already thinks I'm cocky, but uh, I did I did better than I thought I would do. If you could see Ingr- Ingram and I's texts, uh, I didn't think I was going to do very well. And then we ended up just I feel like some of the folks almost tried to stump me too hard. You know what I mean? Like they tried to ask some trick questions. And so I, it got me thinking about like, all right, what's the trick in the question? And so Mad So, we're, we're so happy they're open again. And that was really, really fun. But I was able to get like who, uh, who from the 99 title team went on to be the top receiver in the NFL. And it's actually Anquan Bolden, not, not Peter Work. So. Just fun stuff like that. It was a really good time. We might do it again. So we certainly encourage everybody to follow Madso uh, on, on social media, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. I, I, don't, I don't think they're on TikTok yet. I, I wouldn't think. Uh, so really, really good time there. And I'm, I'm glad they had us out. We basically have three topics tonight, right? So we have transfers, we have recruiting, and we have uh, some new betting lines out from BetMGM. Uh, I, I think we should probably start with the chat about uh, about transfers. Yeah, but let's get uh, started with the transfer part of the conversation, of uh, really a, a pretty positive one. Uh, we talked earlier in the summer or earlier in the spring about Florida State being involved with a offensive lineman potentially from UCLA, weren't able to secure his services, but uh, Jordan Wilson, tight end, comes in uh, as, as a transfer, and I know tight end probably isn't at the top of everybody's board, and rightfully so, uh, but it did sound internally as though that's an area that the coaching staff was eager to address. And, uh, you know, we don't want to make too much out of, out of any transfer or, or pump a kid up to something that he, he's not going to be able to be. But uh, this is a, a solid pickup for Florida State. And it's a pickup in an area where uh, I think maybe the coaching staff wanted to address more than maybe the general tenor of the fan base. Yeah, I, I think the staff might have a little more skepticism about the the existing tight end room uh, than I realized. And, and so they went out and they do go get a transfer from a guy like, like Jordan Wilson. Wilson, uh, I think he had, what, 24 career catches? Certainly not somebody who's going to light the world on fire in the passing game. Uh, to me, he's someone who maybe can help you run the football a little bit better in, in some of the games where your offensive line can hold up. But like realistically, he might be the only guy on your tight end roster, who you really trust as an inline blocker. I mean, the, the the Wyatt Rector stuff is is kind of a fun media story, but I I don't get the sense that uh, that the internal belief there matches what some of the what some of the fans and, and the message board folks seem to think about Rector. So going out and getting Jordan Wilson, like w- when I talk to my sources, they're like, "No, we we need a tight end," and I was like, "Oh." Okay, because I've, I've always been asking, like, hey, how, how about offensive tackles? Any uh, any offensive tackles? Like, that's the one spot on your roster that is, like, really below replacement level within your conference. And uh, 
the, the kind of feedback I got was, no, we, we need a tight end, man. And so they went out and they got Jordan Wilson. I, I think he's, I don't know if he's going to start, start, like be the all-time starter. But I think uh, when they run a little more of their inline tight end stuff, he's probably going to be your inline tight end. He also is somebody who can help push Cam McDonald. It's a big, uh, a big pickup in an area that the staff definitely wanted to address. Uh, when we were recording uh, last time, I know that this news had kind of broken right as we were uh, beginning the podcast, and that was that uh, Isaiah Walker was uh, had announced his intentions to transfer from UF. Ultimately, uh, decides to go to Miami, and I know this is a a little bit of a sore spot for some in the fan base. I'm not trying to uh, minimize the frustration with some of the success or lack of success Florida State's had in the transfer market. Uh, but just to speak candidly, by the time we had recorded last week's podcast, uh, Bud and I both had a, independent lines of information that made it sound like this kid was probably going to end up in Miami. All My whole point here is is that I get people's frustration, but I would I would wait for a fight that you actually lost, not one that you probably were never really in. Right. Exactly right. So. Isaiah Walker shows up at Florida for two months and then goes home. And it, it would be weird if like he's back home, decides he wants to transfer and then decides to transfer somewhere that is further away from home, which Miami is further away from Miami, or excuse, which Tallahassee is further away from Miami than Gainesville is. Uh, his relationship on the Florida State staff was with Telly Lockett who is now uh, on Miami staff, although in an analyst role. Really, I don't think anybody on FSU staff had much of a relationship with Walker at all from the from the prior recruiting cycle, right? Like Randy Clements is gone. He's at Ole Miss. Um, as I mentioned, Telly Lockett is gone. He's at Miami. So Alex Atkins and, and, and his crew had to basically try to reach out and see if they could form a relationship with uh, w- with Walker. For the most part, a lot of times these kids already know where they're going. And I think with Walker, he probably had a pretty good indication he was going to Miami unless something strange happened. And, and so he does end up announcing for Miami over the weekend. That's that's a really good get for Miami. It's also not one that I think Florida State, like you said, had a great chance to get. And I, I, won't, I won't just repeat what you said. Perhaps a guy that they have a little bit better chance to get, maybe, would be uh, off to tackle Jared Williams out of Houston. now. This one's interesting because I don't know that the staff was necessarily all in on him initially, right? Like I, I clearly they're, they're recruiting him now. Josh Newberg of of Knowles Twenty Four Seven reported that they did a uh, a virtual visit with him, which is something they've been doing with, with some other prospects as well recently, trying to kind of give him the full visit experience. But this one seems like a battle that I think you have a little bit better shot to win now. I don't know that you have the most advantages here. I don't know that anybody on Florida State staff has an actual relationship with Williams, like an existing relationship. Uh, and his quarterback, Derek King, is, is at Miami. So and maybe Miami wins out here. Maybe like a USC or uh, there's some other schools that, that I think you can read about who were in on, on, on Williams. But certainly, like if there's an offensive tackle who you think could be an average player in the ACC, you need to go out and try to get that guy because you don't have anybody, I don't think, on your roster who can be an average tackle in the ACC for the 2020 season. You offer me average, uh, I'll, I'll bite your hand off with excitement to uh, 
to go ahead and, and get to that level. So, yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. It does seem as though there's been a little bit of a change of ideas as far as the prospect Williams. It may just be that Florida State continues to not be able to find an offensive tackle otherwise, but uh, that's another name that we'll continue to monitor and try to keep our listenership up uh, up to date as much as possible. We talked about the names that could be potentially joining the roster. We will transition our focus to names here that have, uh, sounds like more or less they've officially uh, left. Uh, Mike Arnold is the first name uh, that has come up as a transfer, or at least the first name that we'll talk about tonight. A couple others. Yeah, I don't want to make too much out of any of these kids that are leaving. I don't think it's a big deal, but we will acknowledge it, talk about the impact, and uh, just give a general idea as to what it means going forward. Yeah, so look, Mike Arnold is a guy who uh, was never a good player at Florida State. I don't have anything against Mike Arnold personally, obviously, but he was not a good football player. He was somewhere between terrible and generously here below average at, at different points in his career. Uh, routinely out of shape, not a guy who really seemed to buy in to the strength and conditioning program. Um, and he was a starter for for far too many games, and I, I think that is reflective of the state of the offensive line. Um, he's in the portal apparently as a grad transfer, which is interesting. Uh, if, if he actually got his degree from Florida State, that would help their APR numbers a little bit. Uh, but uh, he was removed from the roster uh, immediately. Ingram, so certainly not a guy that Florida State is hoping to get back. I, I don't think they would take him back. Once once you put your name in the portal, the school can revoke your uh, scholarship and aid. And, and certainly, I think him being off the roster uh, is something that uh, they're, they're not willing to, to go back on this one, right? There, there's no, no take backs on, on, on my, <laughs> my Arnold. No take backs here. Am I right that Arnold officially gets them right as far as numbers go? Uh, or there, there doesn't necessarily have to be any further, you know, quote unquote processing done. Uh, am I correct on that? I, I believe you are. Yeah, with with, with Wilson uh, coming in. Uh, although, like, look, I think there's a couple guys who you may have to worry about a little bit academically for uh, for the fall who are going to need to continue to have good good summers. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're they're pretty set on numbers. They they don't have to take a, a and slash this thing big time as far as scholarship numbers go. Uh, but this is also a, kind of a good way to set the tone in some ways because Arnold was really the dude who stood out as someone uh, who w- was just not buying it. Right? You had him putting out his quote unquote highlight tape, which uh, remember this. Like I, uh, oh my! I forgot about this, but yeah, it was oh my gosh! It uh. was like the worst highlight tape, and I watch—I probably watch a couple thousand highlight tapes a year. Yeah, some of the unintentional comedy that this program has pr- produced the last two years has been incredible. And Mike Arnold's highlight tape is uh, right up there at the top. Yeah, burn it! That—that uh, that was, <laughs> was just absolutely hilarious. Uh, and, and you know, people saw and uh, and made fun of it on social media when he was out there working out for the for the off-season training program and stuff because he, he looked pretty lethargic and, and looked probably more, I don't know, 360, 370 than the whatever he was listed at. But look, man, I on, on a human side of things, it was pretty clear Arnold was never going to be a professional football player. And if the designation in the grad transfer portal that he is a, you know, indeed a grad transfer is correct, like, that's awesome. I'm I'm really happy for Mike Arnold, man. Go 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 get a degree, go get a job, and you know, like 
I do think that there's some some stuff about college football that is unfair to the superstars of the sport. But like if Mike Arnold ends up getting a, a solid job because he got a scholarship at Florida State, that's pretty cool, you know, because he was able to get his degree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of to that end, bud, not something that we plan to spend a lot of time on, nor will we, but uh, this this podcast will never be one that, <laughs> you know, if, if we're cheering too loudly about the program's GPA, it probably means that, Either things have gone horribly wrong on the field or that uh, there's continuing APR issues. But it is worth noting that the program appears to have had its best semester from a GPA perspective ever, uh, at least within the last couple of decades. So that is a I don't want to make too much out of it, but that's another positive sign as far as broader institutional buy in of kids. And uh, it's a program that is still haunted by some of the APR issues that are tied to uh, 15, 16, and 17 to an extent. So uh, the the more that Florida State can do uh, to get themselves in a place where APR is not some kind of major concern, uh, the better and great showing as far as an academic standpoint of what the uh, football team has done recently. And, and they're certainly being negatively recruited with their APR still, right? Like there's some kids who have recently left Florida State off uh, of their like top five lists. And the word I got back was that academically, like those kids just aren't going to mess with Florida State. Like the FSU APR wise is way too easy of a target to negatively recruit. So uh, continuing to to have the APR improve some is is a big deal, and like I don't think it's going to improve by leaps and bounds. It's just not how it works. It's it's a rolling four year average right now. It's going to be sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen uh, at at the end of twenty twenty. Obviously, it'll be seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Uh, but this is this is a good sign that that the GPA is up. I, I don't know if we're really apples to apples with all these online courses, you know, uh, especially a lot of these online courses that we're not prepared to teach in an online atmosphere. Um, some of those might be a little bit easier than normal, just from from talking to some guys who who have kids in college. Uh, they they tend to think that these uh, courses are not that difficult compared to normal. Uh, but hey, if you're Florida State, you'll take it, and it's just. Cover your ears. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Transcript doesn't mem- have any memories uh, as to that. So uh, good for them. It's a line drive in the box score tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. It looks, looks like you sent it right back over the pitcher's head. Definitely. So um, uh, good stuff on that as far as the GPA. Best of luck to Mike Arnold uh, wherever he lands. And hopefully that is true that he was able to, uh, w- to walk with a degree. And um, uh, we'll, again, kind of lean on some of the work that you do. Uh, with 247 and uh, get your opinion as far as some of the incoming uh, talent uh, from the transfer portal. I know that you guys have been doing a, a pretty exhaustive, exhaustive uh, ranking process of, of uh, those that have uh, you know gone into the transfer portal and emerged elsewhere. Uh, we'll just spend a couple minutes kind of talking about the ratings of incoming guys, some of the higher rating uh, that were assigned to the outgoing names, and uh, just give our listeners kind of an idea as to some of the level of talent, uh, both uh, kind of coming in and going out. Sure. So, yeah, we, we exchanged over 500 emails w- with our guys at 24-7 Sports, all, all the team site crew, and the national and, and regional experts trying to trying to put accurate ratings on these transfer portal guys. I, I dug into to the data in recent drafts and, and saw that uh, the grand total of uh, non-quarterback transfers to go in the first round in the early signing period era uh, is zero. Nobody other than quarterbacks who have transferred since the early signing period came about, none of them went in the first round. 
And what that tells me is that for the most part, if you're a really good player, you're starting at your existing school. With quarterbacks, it's a little different because like coaches seem to value nebulous concepts like you're know, returning leadership and all and all this crap. And and, and there's definitely something to that. I, I don't want to fully downplay that. I think that, that that's actually a valuable thing in some cases. At other positions, you don't hear about, oh, like this guy's a leader, so he has to play really much at all. Like they're just going to play the best player. And thus, like the best players don't typically transfer. Here's what we gave uh, Florida State's guys at, after feedback on the Florida State side and on the, the side uh, from, from which these guys uh, came. Fabian Lovett, the defensive tackle, who is still kind of open, by the way. I don't know if you saw this, but he removed all of his Florida State stuff from his Twitter profile, and he's not enrolled at Florida State yet, so certainly not a lock to go to Florida State at this point, I wouldn't think, but he gets a 90 based on the fact that he was a 90 coming out of high school and, and did get to play some as a Richard freshman made, made some impact. Uh, Love Taylor, the, the offensive tackle or guard uh, from FIU, gets an 87. Uh, Sean Corbin had a nice freshman season and then had a pretty serious leg injury. We, we think he's bounced back nicely from that. But again, running back is, is a devalued position. We, we don't think he's going to be like a first-round type player. And, uh, and I have to downgrade him some as well for, for his injury history. Uh, Dotson, the, the corner they got out of FAU, uh, led the nation in interceptions. I'm not saying that's nothing, but also like, Interceptions have a ton of noise in them, and I, I don't even think he projects as, ne- as a necessary starter. Deontay Williams, likely backup at Florida State at defensive end. The Baylor kid uh, got an 84. Jarrett Jackson um, obviously got a lot of negative uh, feedback on him uh, from our sources at Louisville, and uh, in, he may end up being a defensive tackle size-wise. He, he gets an 81, which is still a three-star. So it's a low three-star. Cornell Jones is a walk-on at Florida State. He, he was a scholarship guy at Purdue. He gets a 78. That's kind of a high two-star grade. And then uh, outgoing guys, McKitty, Trey McKitty going to Georgia gets an 89. Uh, good athleticism, decent production, obviously, uh, and, and transfers up to a better program. Uh, Treshawn Harrison get, gets an 87. That, that's a decrease from where he was as a recruit. He got on the field some, but really not as much as, as I think everybody hoped he would. A.J. Lighton gets an 86. He doesn't have a landing spot yet. Amir Rasul gets an 81. He's now at Middle Tennessee. And then Malcolm Lamar goes to FAU. And Lamar had a pretty steep drop from a 90 to a 77. You know, just kind of routinely not, not in great shape. Uh, zero uh, impact at, at Ford State. And uh, also didn't move positions to, I think, the position he has to play if he's going to be successful, which is going to be offensive tackle. I, I don't think he has the explosiveness to be a quality uh, DT in college football. Any of those kind of catch your fancy? Um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about Jackson in all likelihood being boom or bust. Uh, I tend to agree with you there. And look, Treshawn Harrison will be somebody that I forever watch. There were periods of time where that guy looked as explosive as anybody as Florida State signed uh, in a long time. And then there were just uh, long periods where I don't I don't want to say the kid looked disinterested as his talents. Uh, so that'll that'll be a little bit of a you know, what could have been in the back of my mind for a long time and uh, probably of the outgoing guys, uh, those of which I'll, I'll watch the closest and, you know, uh, we'll see what McKitty does with his brief time in Athens. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, somebody asked me like, hey, is there one you think could, could, could really burn you here? Uh, and I guess Corbin, if he totally returns to his prior form, uh, could end up being a little bit better than an 87. Uh, but but still, I, I feel pretty comfortable with with having... 
very few, if any, four-star running backs in, in the transfer portal. I mean, running backs a position where we we just don't see elite running backs transferring because your career in college, if you're really that good, is so short, man. You know, like it, it's you play for a couple of years and then you go early to the NFL if you're if you're good enough. So uh, I, I think you have to look at your track record and history and giving him that high three-star grade. Also, we kind of realize now the difference between the best back and the worst back is is smaller at the running back position than it is at a lot of other positions. It's just tough, man. I mean, unless you're unless you're just a dynamic, uh, you know, type of prospect where you might see one or two kids a year, uh, running back is is just a, a level right now in football where kind of a lot of things get mixed together, and uh, it's a it's a place where you're kind of saturated for options, and uh, it's going to be hard for anybody to really shine out absent, you know, uh, Adrian Peterson, uh, some of the some of the larger freaks to, to play the position. So uh, interesting to get your opinion there. Are you guys, um, I mean, obviously I know the, the rankings are based on a projection as to what kids might do in college and awards that they might contend for, how early they might uh, play, you know, vie for playing time. But how much are you kind of merging the idea as to of the NFL draft and these ratings and how you're evaluating kids? I mean, that's, there's more talk about that that I hear from you and other people in the industry than I've ever heard before. Yeah, so we, we really don't trust these college football awards at all. Um, a lot of them are voted on by writers who are attending and watching like one game a week. And a lot of times it's a popularity contest. Whereas we kind of look at the NFL draft as, as really the ultimate filter of, of the player ability, excuse me, of, of, of the player's ability. It, it kind of filters out a little bit of like college development in both ways, right? So some of these guys who maybe a college program got a ton out of it because they used them in a unique way, but maybe the guy's not actually that talented uh, or maybe a program really wasn't that great, but they still took the kid anyway because they, they really see that talent in him. You know, we're, we're trying to evaluate talent and we look at the NFL as sort of the ultimate measuring stick for that. And I, I think there's no better time to look at it like that then now, uh, simply because the schemes the NFL and college are running have probably never been more similar. You know, like we're, we're seeing this now. Uh, did, did I mention the, the stat about the Heisman draft picks on this show? The Heisman draft picks? Uh, I, don't, I don't immediately recall it. So check this out, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure I have this right off the top of my head. Your last 10 Heisman quarterbacks their average draft position, I think 12th overall. Okay. You did mention this. So, and you guys backed Charlie Ward out because of his uh, draft, pre draft conversations. Yeah. Cause he basically said, take me in the first round or don't draft because I'm going to play, go play NBA. Yeah. So we did briefly discuss this. And, and if you haven't heard it, like if you're a new listener, the 10, the 10 Heisman quarterbacks before the most recent 10, their average draft position was 120th. So we do think that the, the best players in college football are transitioning to the NFL a little bit better simply because of, of the scheme uh, similarities between what the NFL and college are doing. But yeah, we, we, we do really consider we're not going to have as many running backs as five stars as we used to. It's, it's a devalued position for a couple of reasons. One, I think people realize like the gap between the best back and the worst back is not necessarily that great. I mean, as far as on your elite teams. A lot of it's offensive line based and also like 
teams are passing more. Passing is more efficient than running is. So teams are not drafting running backs high. I mean, we've had an average of, I think, 1.2 running backs over to, drafted over the last 10 drafts in the first round. That, that's just, they're not willing to spend their valuable assets on running backs. So it tells us it, it, it's a devalued position. Very interesting. Interesting to get your opinion on that. And certainly do, at least in my opinion, you see some real evolution in the idea as to how kids are at least being, uh, not so much how they're rated, but kind of how the ratings are, are, or where the ratings are coming from and some of the thought process tied behind it. Um, but we have um, some listener questions that I actually think are going to make up our next show. But I do, <laughs> I did want to read or have you read one of our listeners, uh, our Patreon uh, comments uh, when we asked about the questions. And again, if you have an interest in supporting the show further, uh, you can go to patreon.com backslash Nolcast. But but I'll give this to you uh, as far as the question that we got from Tom and just some of the general feedback that we've had uh, that's come from our partnership with uh, Resolution Home Loans in general. Absolutely, buddy. So check this out. This is from... This is from Tom. Tom is a longtime listener of the show, and, and, and we love him for it. He writes, no question this week. I just wanted to say thanks for telling us about, about Resolution Home Loans. We closed our refi today, and it has been an incredibly easy process, especially considering all the social distancing restrictions. We paid off our solar panel loans and dropped from a 30-year fixed down to a 20-year fixed and still came out with a $140 monthly reduction in payment. Thank you. Look, guys. Shannon's the best in the business. 844-FSU-LOAN. I've done my home loan and my refi through him. A lot of my friends have as well. I'm sending out four more packs of t-shirts this week. I don't have Tom's address. Uh, Tom's already a Patreon member, so I'm guessing he already has one of the shirts, but I'm sure Shannon will send me uh, him and his family's names and shirt sizes so I I can send him out their welcome package this week or or perhaps next whenever I get to the post office. 844 FSU loan. Get hooked up with Shannon, with Shannon Young. He's the loan guy you need to go to. Period. Like he's he's great, knowledgeable, aggressive. He'll fight for you. He'll get you, he'll get you the good rates and walk through the entire process. And and probably be able to keep you up to date on Florida State's recruiting efforts uh, in the in the low times of the uh, of the refi. <laughs> you will talk some Florida State. There there ain't no doubt. I mean it. We I'll get a call from Shannon and be like, hey, like like what do you think about the ad read? And then like I'll look at it and be like. 55 minutes. <laughs> he said, what, what about this guy in the portal? I'm like, all right, well, yeah, I, I don't know if anybody on this staff knows him, but it's possible. Like we, we, we maybe could. You want to go into a little recruiting talk, a little recruiting talk here? Yeah. Got, got some more positive news on the recruiting front. Yeah, man. Marcus Woodson sure does seem to be a valuable addition to the staff, or at least, uh, at this point in the process, Florida state seems to be leaning on him in a manner that's, uh, Hard for me to remember, you know, one particular coach uh, seemingly having, you know, maybe it's just past traction, past knowledge of an area, whatever it may be. Hunter Washington's a four-star defensive back at a at a Katy, Texas. Uh, Woodson has the, you know, the majority of the pre-existing relationship here. Has seen him in person, and uh, he's a four-star prospect, uh, liked by a lot of schools. But Florida State seemed to feel real comfortable with him, and uh, at least at this point in time, has gotten a commitment from him. Yeah, so when we spoke with Coach Mike Norvell on the 24-7 Sports Social Distance show the other day when I interviewed him, he revealed that there were several kids that Florida State like had tried to commit Florida State and they ended up turning down, right? They said, no, like we haven't seen y'all in person. 
and we haven't met y'all. And like they, they want to take guys who are actually committed to the process and, and not just looking for sort of a safe spot right now and then open it back up once the uh, once all the quarantine and, and social distancing stuff, once that lifts. But it does seem like if, if people on the staff have seen a prospect in person, have a good feel for the prospect, that they're willing to take him. And, and Hunter Washington out, out of Katy, uh, th- there is a decent amount of stuff to like here. I, I don't think he's a freakish athlete, but I don't think he's a bad athlete. He's played a lot of football. Um, he's Katy plays at an extremely high level of football. Like 6A Texas ball is, is some of the best football you'll have in the entire country. He's been an impact player for them on that level. Uh, if you pull up his highlight tape, what you're going to see is a guy who is physical and aggressive. Um, he's not afraid to, bl- to, to, to blitz off the edge. I, he reminds me a little bit of... Remember Trey Marshall? Oh, yeah. Trey Marshall. He's not, he's not, he's not as thick like Trey was, but I, I think he uh, has some, some things with which you can work. Uh, I, I, I like his, his football smarts. Uh, his electronic 40 time was like 4.7. At a Nike camp, uh, that's not great, but it's not as bad as you might think it sounds. Again, with the electronic times, that that's that's a little bit better. And that was uh, that was basically at the end of his sophomore year because we don't have a time for him uh, this year. In fact, that's one of the challenges we've been dealing with on the recruiting side of things is is not having times for this year. So we're trying to have to estimate and say, okay, like how much faster are kids getting from sophomore to junior year? I think he offers you a lot of versatility. He could be a safety. He could be a corner. He could be a nickel. Um, and Ingram, tell me real quick, uh, what, what, what kind of offense do these teams run? Are these teams running more pro style or do these teams run a little more, little more spread offense now? Yeah, yeah. No, you certainly, you know, spread is, is where the future is. And that's uh, uh, fortunately out in Texas, Washington will have uh, have seen a lot of that. But uh, yeah, that's where the game's moving. And Washington, like you said, he's not a super explosive player, but he is a little bit of a Swiss Army knife in the fact that you could see him potentially play in just about every position of the secondary. Uh, nice pickup for Florida State. Nice, talented kid and uh, more good work being done by by the staff on the recruiting trail. And I think he probably ends up like, I don't say probably, I think there's a chance he ends up at nickel for you as well. There's a guy, like you said, could, could he play some strong? Could he, could he play some nickel? Uh, there's just so many spread teams on Florida State's schedule. It just seems to make sense. And th- this appears to be a player that Florida State is, is comfortable uh, taking. And this has been a weird balancing act for them, right? There's, this is a staff that a lot of high school players and high school coaches, they don't know them, right? Like they've t- had some Zoom calls with them, but they don't know them. They've had to make some interesting and, and, and tough decisions and decisions that I don't necessarily disagree with. Uh, but interesting ones. Nonetheless, uh, we should also talk here about a, a new offensive tackle offer uh, that went out on Tuesday. Yeah, haven't been short of uh, of offensive tackle offers recently, and we've certainly uh, dedicated a, a decent amount of time on the Nolcast recently discussing them. But uh, Gardner Langlow is the most recent offer, uh, an in-state prospect. But just give me your opinion on him. Uh, I've watched some of his, uh, you know, some of his huddle and other things. He looks like a Nice, decent prospect. Where where do you kind of see him in the in the process right now? Where Florida State stands with him, he's a developmental tackle 
with some length, he's probably six five and a half, six six. I, I don't I don't think he's actually six seven like like some of his recruiting profiles say. And, and he did a a pretty decent job at the Orlando Under Armour camp. But but again, he, he's a developmental guy. Um, I, I want to see if he can bend sort of at, at at the hips a little bit more as opposed to at the waist. But ultimately, he's a guy I think. I don't know if he should be a take for Florida State. And in fact, I don't even know if Florida State wanted to offer him right now, right? Like they offered Rod Orr before they offered Langlow. And they offered a couple other guys before they offered Langlow. And sometimes it kind of gets me thinking like, okay, if they're not offering the in-state kid, why is that? Because I think in some ways, some of the offers they send out are, are kind of on a similar level as Langlow. I do believe Orr has a higher ceiling that the offensive tackle they offered out of Alabama two weeks ago. The reason I think you don't do it is what like what if the kid tries to commit to you? Are you gonna take him? Are you gonna say yes to taking him? If so, like that fills up one of your spots. And if you're Florida State staff, you don't have the political capital right now to go cutting kids loose later on if they end up not being as good as you think. This is a player they have not had a chance to work out either in person or see him work out on a visit to his high school because they, they haven't been able to see him in person at all. And like, they don't, these guys don't know each other in person physically. They, they don't have that kind of 3d look and see, okay, like this guy physically, this, this is his presence. This is what he looks like. They're asking around for people who have seen him. Obviously, like I've seen, I, I, I said previously, I think you should, you should offer the guy. I would understand why they might've waited. But I also wonder, like, do you think their hand was forced here a little bit? Langlo's a guy that's picking up more and more offers. Um, Auburn ended up offering Langlo. I don't know if he's a take at Auburn right now, uh, but I do kind of try to think like, okay, if they're offering him and then Florida comes in and offers Caleb Johnson and offers teammate of, of Langlo and Florida State commit, Jake Slaughter, excuse me. Do you think like you, are they doing this because they think he might be a Florida State level player and they already have Jake Slaughter in the fold and you think it helps you? reinforce you with, with Jake Slaughter, who's a player this staff likes a whole lot. Does that make sense? Like, hey, this guy might be FSU quality. We should go ahead and offer him, encourage him to come up for a visit as soon as this stuff lifts. It also helps us a little bit to keep Jake Slaughter in the fold because obviously UF's now in on Slaughter. I think in an ideal world, they might have just waited till they could see him in person, but we're not in an ideal world right now. It's hard to say. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I get the impression from this staff that they're trying to walk a little bit of a tightrope in. They can't just take a shotgun approach to this and just throw a ton of numbers at it. Uh, but they do want to kind of get one piece that's a little bit more of a solidified product and then maybe one that's a, you know, higher risk reward uh, type prospect. But, uh, you know, names that uh, continue to get added to the board, uh, we'll look at them. But, uh, you know, Florida State's pursuit of tackles is kind of one of the more interesting subplot lines from the the whole recruiting cycle uh if that's a, a phrase you wish to use and it's it's something that we'll continue to talk monitor and uh, give you as much information as possible absolutely okay so additional stuff here james blackstrain receiver uh who, who is uh i think he has a florida state offer technically i'm not convinced he's a take right now for fsu off injury he's committing on Wednesday, uh, all the crystal ball picks are for Georgia Tech. Again, I don't think he's a take for FSU right now. Uh, so I would expect him to probably go to Georgia Tech come uh, come this week. And then also Dink Jackson dropped a, a top 10. He's an interesting player. 
Okay, so we had the Hunter Washington discussion, and the only thing we don't really see on Hunter Washington's highlight tape is a whole lot of coverage snaps, which is a little bit concerning to me, right? Like, I want to see the guy more in coverage before I'm convinced he's a four-star level player. Uh, With Dink Jackson, I kind of have the same reaction. And, And when you watch Dink Jackson's film, I think, okay, that kid is going to be like a nickel linebacker type. But then you kind of hear reports that he's pretty skinny and, you know, like maybe very skinny. And I think that kind of has some teams out there pausing a little bit on Jackson. And I like if you, he doesn't have a lot of coverage clips either. So if, if you have a guy who's that skinny who doesn't have a lot of coverage clips, like should you take him? I, I don't know. I, I think that there may be sort of a bit of a evaluation process going on on both sides between Jackson and, and Florida State right now. That's not to say they wouldn't take him. I I think if push comes to shove, they probably would. But it's just interesting. He's another guy who, he plays the game one way, but does the way he plays the game project to the college level based on what his size is? Yeah, I think it's a good question, and you bring up a lot of good points there. And yeah, when you first look at his huddle, um, it's almost him playing... Uh, defensive side of the ball and and making plays at the line of scrimmage, making plays chasing ball, uh, you know, chasing the ball down from behind. Um, a guy who looks to, you know, attack the line of scrimmage pretty aggressively. But again, uh, when you see him, you have to have questions as to whether or not he has the kind of the build and frame to project uh, to that type of style of ball at a higher level. So, uh, interesting prospect there out of Melbourne, Florida. A guy that is kind of on the edge right now as to whether or not uh, I think he's a real serious consideration for Florida State. 6'2", 190 or so, a decent prospect, but uh, you know, not, not somebody that's necessarily going to be uh, an absolute star of your class if he does ultimately decide to come. But at the same time, he's kind of right there, what, between 250 and 300 on the national rating. So not trying to minimize him either. Now, speaking of takes, you know what is a take? Travis Johnson's phone number, 850 850- Four three five ninety nine nineteen. That's eight five zero four three five ninety nine nineteen. If you want one of the absolute best family law attorneys in the state of Florida, you need to call Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm. Right. So Travis sh- shares his message with us in, in these difficult times. We, we we don't know how long this current economic situation will last, but we do know if you have a child support or alimony obligation you need to know that the requirement for you to pay support does not automatically change when your circumstances change. It's important to seek a court-ordered modification of your child support or alimony payment as soon as possible, as any reduction can only be made retroactive to the time of filing, not to the time of the change in your income. So again, the reduction is retroactive to the time that you file, not to the time that your income changed. Even if you expect only a short-term loss of income in this time period, we can help you temporarily reduce your support obligation. So Travis Johnson, a board-certified family law attorney of the Metter & Johnson Law Firm, take down that number. He's a take, 850-435-9919, offering a free consult and flexible rates for NOLCAST listeners if you mention the show. All right, bud. Uh, we'll kind of end tonight's conversation with a, a little bit of a further conversation about betting lines and uh, some of the more detailed lines that have come out via uh, MGM looks at the time that Florida state is, uh, is currently underdogs in five of its games. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, MGM has uh, seven games listed for Florida state. We don't have a line 
on Wake. We don't have a line on uh, FCS or the the other uh, the other G five game, and we don't have a line on on Florida State Boston College. But we have we have seven lines. Uh, so Florida State and just I mean, I'll read these off, and then we can kind of get out of here tonight and discuss these. Uh, Florida State opens as a three and a half point favorite against West Virginia in the Dome, assuming that game gets played. And then they, uh, they're a one and a half point underdog at Boise State. So it would seem like starting two and one is, is a fairly kind of reasonable expectation based on the betting lines. Then they got to face Clemson. They're a 17 and a half point home underdog against Clemson. Uh, then they're four and a half point dogs at Louisville, six and a half point dogs at Miami. Uh, then they're seven and a half point favorites at Syracuse. And finally, they finish out the year as 10 and a half point underdogs against Florida. I guess I'll open up and say this. Like we have previously said, if, if I told you, Ingram, you can have seven and five right now, would you take it and just take it to the bank? I think we both said yes, right? Has your opinion changed on that at all? No, no, it hadn't. It really hadn't. I wish I could tell you yes, but uh, no, I'm still right there. I think these are kind of interesting. So Boise outplayed Florida State last year in, in large part, and they do lose some, but there are other areas of their team that they're going to be pretty solid. I think their offense should be should be pretty damn good. Uh, and Florida State has to go out there and play. Again, assuming these games are even played, which I'll just reveal to you, I'm not putting any of my money uh, down on these because I have some doubts as to whether they're going to be played on, on the specified date. I wonder if it's not better than 50-50 that the, one of the West Virginia Boise games is not uh, is not impacted by uh, COVID. Uh, again, uh, if things will play out a long time uh, until we know for sure, but uh, those are the two that kind of stand out when I look at Florida State's schedule. Are you saying you would not give me even money that they bo- that they're both uh, that they're both played? I would not. No, and I would I would uh, would bet that one or one or both will be impacted in one way or another, either delayed or moved or or something. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense, and especially because you're dealing with teams from different conferences and uh, and and ones at a neutral site venue, obviously from states all across the country. But if if this team gets off to a two and one start, pretty much regardless of of how they get to that two and one, um, I, I think you have to be you have to feel pretty good. Uh, you're not going to beat Clemson. You can't block Clemson. The Louisville game is one. I, I think a four and a half point spread is understandable. It basically implies that uh, that Louisville is about two points better on a neutral site. I I don't have a huge problem with that. I I would probably take Florida State and four and a half here, uh, just because I I don't think that Louisville is one of the teams that you are unable to block. And that's largely how I'm evaluating some of these games. I think Florida State's defense will be pretty nasty. Florida State did a fairly good job last year uh, against Louisville. Now, Louisville will be a better team than they were last year, I think. They're going to be improved. It's their second year under Scott Satterfield's system, and he's a good coach. Ultimately, like they're not in that range where I just have a really hard time seeing Florida State win the game because I, don't, I, I think they can block Louisville. I don't think they can block Clemson. I don't think they can block Miami. I would take Miami and lay the six and a half points in Miami against Florida State because I, I don't think there's any matchup one-on-one with Florida State's offensive line that I would feel good about against Miami's defensive line. I think Miami will win one of the, every single one of those matchups, the one-on-ones, pretty convincingly. Now, you might tell me, bud, Florida State's defensive line will also beat Miami's offensive lineup, and that's possible. That's possible. 
But I don't think Florida State's defensive ends are anything special, whereas I do think Miami has defensive ends. So Miami's line, defensive line, is better than Florida State's across the board. Florida State probably has better D-tackles, but I would take Miami's D-line over Florida State's because of the ends. Then they go Syracuse. This I think this is kind of illuminating a little bit here. They're only a one-point bigger favorite at Syracuse than they are a dog at Miami. You see what I'm saying? Like, like I think everybody thinks of Syracuse as a total slam dunk game. And I kind of do as well, but we don't really know what Syracuse will be this year. I have a hard time I'm looking at them in the preseason here. I, do you have a good read on that team? Because I, I really don't. It's probably, uh, I would say they and NC State are the two teams in the conference that could have as much variance as anybody. Uh, hard, hard to get my arms around exactly where either of those programs are. And then hosting Florida at home. Again, I just I, I don't think Florida State can block Florida. So like the three games I just don't think they can block are Clemson, Miami, and and Florida. Um, maybe the offensive line gets a lot better. Maybe if you if if you tell me that they're gonna find a way to get to below average this year, maybe that's possible. If if, if you give me seven and five, I'm gonna take it. I, I know in, in conversations with, with some other guys who I work with now, they would also take that. I don't know that the staff would take that. I think the staff is hoping to be able to, to find a way to go eight and four. And it's it's hard to blame them for being optimistic, but at the same time, like they have not been able to install their schemes like they normally would. And if you could just blindly bet against all the new head coaches who didn't get spring practices this year during during the COVID era stuff, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't come out ahead in September before everybody kind of catches on that, ooh. Oh man, like this is not a normal install, right? Like they haven't had, they haven't had spring to try and put their stuff in and their guys haven't had all summer to try and digest it. it this is just totally flying blind. Whereas all the other schools are, who don't have coordinator and scheme changes and, and how we do things at practice changes on both sides of the ball, they, they have a little more advantages there. Yeah. Is there any one of these you would definitely take right now? No, no, there's not. Uh, there's nothing on the board that I would, uh, immediately jump at Syracuse and Miami are probably the two that I would give the most consideration to. I agree with you about Miami. I also think, uh, and I, I think your point about the ends is, is well-made. Uh, I think Miami is going to have a hell of a time blocking Florida state interior. And that, that could be, uh, you know, one of those ugly, dumb, ugly games of 10, 15 years ago, where you're looking at, uh, you know, a 19 to 13 type game or something like that. I feel like every week we're like, man, what are we going to talk about? And we, we always have stuff to talk about. And we'll be back again soon with another episode addressing some listener questions. Uh, So stay tuned for that. As always, we we really appreciate your five-star ratings and your written reviews on uh, on Apple Podcasts for us. And just want to let you know, we are also on Spotify. That's something that uh, some people have asked us about. Yes, we are on Spotify. If you're an Apple Apple person, uh, give us those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. They mean uh, really much more than they should. So uh, we appreciate every one of them. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.